Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning and welcome to the 2021 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Jack Blasberg and I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. And it's my pleasure to introduce our panel, How's Data? How Analytics is Revolutionizing Cricket. Our panelists today are Isha Guha, former English international team player and cricket analyst at BBC. Gary Kirsten, former South African international team player and former coach of the Indian national team. Rahul Dravid, former Indian international team player and director of cricket operations at the National Cricket Academy in Bengaluru, India. Our panel will be moderated by Alok Singh, Director, Global Strategy and Transformation at Dell Technologies. The panel will run for 35 minutes and we will leave 10 minutes at the end for questions. Please use the chat on the right side of the window for discussions during the panel and the Q&A option also on the right to submit questions to our panelists. Questions will then be selected by the moderator. With that, I'll turn it over to Alok. Great. Thank you, Jack. Good morning, afternoon, and evening to everyone around the world. First of all, let me congratulate all the organizers of such an impressive conference on sports analytics. It's been 15 years, and here we are with the first ever cricket panel in such a prestigious conference. Cricket, uh, as we all know by now, has become one of the most popular games. Rather, it's the second most popular sport after soccer is being followed by two and a half billion people around the world. And it's also being played in more than 100 countries. And here we are at the Sports Analytics Conference. We also know that its sports industry is showing the way to other industries, how to use data and analytics to improve performances. And today we are joined by some of the brightest people of the sport of cricket. And uh, we want to open the discussion by just asking them some simple questions about how the role of analytics has evolved. And I know you all are eager to ask questions as well. And as we said in the beginning, we'll keep last 10, 15 minutes for you to ask direct questions. But now let's uh, get on with this discussion on the role of analytics in cricket. So starting with you, Isha, and then going to Rahul and Gary, that how the game has changed the role of analytics since your days of playing cricket to your role now as a commentator or as a coach. Isha. Hi, Alok. Hi, Roll. Hi, Gary. Um, great to be here. Um, yeah, it's it's changed quite dramatically, actually, since I first started playing. I mean, I think back to when I was growing up and playing club cricket and then making my way through to the international level, um, playing my first game at the age of 17. And I would say that was probably the first time I actually saw myself bowl. So um, because it was recorded on television, I never got the opportunity to, to watch my action um, or, or see how I looked when I actually bowled. So um, it's very different these days. You know, at the age of eight or nine, you're, you're getting the opportunity to, to be recorded, whether it's on an Android phone or um, with a camera. And um, you have a chance to really pick apart your technique at such a, an early age. Um, and and the other thing, I guess, is is things were kept relatively simple. Um, there was a lot of instinctive stuff when you're playing in a game in terms of working out the opposition. Um, you may not have been able to see a lot of the opposition coming into a game. So um, these days, you know, you, 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 you're given, you know, 10 to 20 files on on each individual player that you're coming up against. So you kind of pretty much know them inside out before you you go out there to play. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's probably where I'd say um, from a playing point of view, I think that the biggest difference has been made. But then in a broadcast sense as well, um, we're just using a lot more data to, to try and predict things. Great, great. Thank you, Isha. Rahul. Uh, yeah, thanks, Alok. Hi, Isha. Hi, Gary. Uh, great to be here. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Uh, I just think cricket's always been a st statistically driven game. There's, there's always been statistics in cricket. 
um, right from the beginning. You know, I mean, it's 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 a little like baseball. There's always been stats, and we've we've looked at stats a lot. But I think in the past, uh, or at least when we when I started playing in, in the sort of over the last sort of before the last decade and a half, uh, probably stats were used more from a selection perspective. Uh, so you'd compare people's averages in domestic cricket, or or you'd compare the number of wickets they've taken, or they were used to sort of compare players and generations. Oh, Don Bradman averaged this much, he must have been a great player, and somebody else averaged so much. So I think it was used more from a selection and sometimes from a comparative perspective. Uh, but I think, uh, and I was just, just uh, you know, that was because it's just reflective of the kind of data that was being collected in those days. And, and like Isha rightly mentioned, I think just with technology changing so much, uh, just the quality of data that is, be, that is available to us over, say, the last decade and a half, suddenly you've gone uh, from using statistics and data for just purely selection purposes uh, to now enhancing performances, using it in strategy, in tactics. So I think that data, some level of data has always been there, but I think just as technology and artificial intelligence has improved, it's allowed us, I think, to use that data, to use that uh, and to slice that data more uh, accurately, and then to start using it for, you know, like like Visha said, predicting performances and strategy, tactics, looking at individual performances and seeing how you can improve team performances, individual performances as well. Yeah. So it's changed a lot. Very insightful experiences, uh, Rahul. Thank you so much. Uh, Gary, over to you. Yeah, thanks, Alok, and hi, Isha and Rahul. It's great to be on the platform. I'm very, very much in agreement with what, what Rahul's, Rahul is saying, and um, absolutely as a player. I think, I think for me, the, the biggest thing as I transitioned from, from a playing career into, into a coaching career was how we trusted the use of, of data. And uh, certainly when I was playing, it kind of was there, but uh, some guys used it and trusted it and other guys said, well, I don't believe in it much. I'm just going to go with my gut feel and my instinct. But I think Raul is spot on. The data has become so rich now and so relevant that as coaches and leaders of teams, we're looking for any competitive advantage that we can find. I always believe, um, you know, we, we, we use data as, as a, a, an aid to our coaching best practice. And I think uh, the more we begin to trust the use of data, the better decisions that we're making around finding that competitive advantage and possibly getting the edge on a, on a result in a match. Fantastic, Gary. Uh, definitely the evolution of uh, analytics in cricket has been remarkable. Was there anything which stood out for you? Uh, in other words, which you didn't know and your analysts told you and you thought, whoa, uh, it is so useful. And there could be something like, you know, what other sports have already seen in basketball. We now know the importance of uh, three-point shots or in soccer, you know, long uh, shooting, they are reducing that. So something like that in cricket, did you observe and you experience yourself? Um, not so much as a player, um, because again, we weren't, I don't think we were using it to the level that um, um, we, we should have been. Um, but I certainly know in the last few years as a coach and with the development of T20 cricket, which is, um, which is really um, from a coaching perspective, made us kind of understand the use of data much better and how to decode it and how to use it in, in, in a coaching environment. Um, it's become a lot more relevant. And I think there have been some coaches that have been really forward thinking on that. And others have realized that they actually need to use the data appropriately. And I think for me, um, it have been two significant um, areas that have made a big difference to my understanding. One is, is really how you can build matchups between a, a batsman and a bowler. And the data now can give you some really good strategic points to use um, in preparing for matches around, around those matchups in, in, that, in that contest between bat and ball. And then I think the other thing is just understanding the trends that exist in the various uh, uh, grounds that we play in. I mean, there's the, the data again has become so rich that you're getting some really good and, and accurate insights into how to build a, a strategy around the different venues that we play at. That's very insightful, Gary. Uh, let me invite Rahul and Isha as well to share their thoughts here. Yeah, so... Um... I just guess from from my perspective, like like Gary said, I think it probably more 
over the last sort of years as i've been involved uh, in in sort of more uh, the the t20 side of things and coaching you know one of the very common things in in cricket and which is something that's that's used a lot even when we were growing up a lot that singles matter you know you should be you should take a lot of singles singles make a big difference uh, you should run you should be a great judge of a run you should run the first run really fast uh, dot ball percentage you know was something in the early days we spoke a lot about your dot ball percentage should be really low and and your high dot ball percentage is not really great for you but i think what a lot of the that sort of data is showing us today and a lot of the guys are are doing that especially in the t20 form of the game that actually singles don't make much of a difference it's actually the number of fours and sixes that you can actually hit that is winning your games i think i think the numbers are pretty staggering in terms of you know uh, the stats and the data show you that if you hit more numbers of fours and sixes um you you win a huge percentage of games i mean it's 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 almost skewed towards 80 90% of the games if you're just hitting more boundaries and sixes um and and yeah so that's changed things on a, a quite a bit i mean I, i don't think the day is far off when when i mean i, I think i'm we're going to see that as early as maybe this ipl or in another ipl where people are going to in a matchup like gary exactly said where people are going to turn down a single because the matchup suits them to be able to hit a six in the next two or three balls so for example if you had a left arm spinner at certain stage in the game bowling to rishabh pant and you know i would rather rishabh pant actually play six of those balls and you back him to hit three sixes rather than taking a single and turning the strike over to a right-handed batsman against a left-hand spinner and and that guy eating up two or three dot balls or, or wasting you know a few balls taking a single in in games where the margins are so small so so yeah that's been something like three point shooting you know just it's something that's probably turned our common sort of uh, sayings in the game or our beliefs about the game uh you know you think of that as one area certainly in terms of the value of a single in a t20 game i think today uh you know people are seriously looking at that well wow, that's a that, remarkable uh, change yep isha please go ahead sorry alok i was just about to say i think you see that probably even more so in in the shorter format of the game now cricket is a um a sport that has four different formats now maybe even five <laughs> there's lots of different formats so uh, one that gets played over 5 days one that lasts uh, a whole day and then the, the ones that are shortened to 3 3 hours or so and and i guess the the shortest one the, the t20 format we're, we're now getting another format called the 100 but um everyone at the start probably thought of that as a bit of a a hit and hit and giggle um so you you hit as many fours and sixes as possible but but there is that kind of match up element um and i think that I think it's it's more important for for a T20 game actually because of the because of the restricted time you have less balls to face you have to get it right every ball is an event um that's how they talk about T20 cricket and so matchups are so important not only with the coaches and and the players um having that understanding of who they who they match up well against but also the broadcasters so we use it a lot in in broadcast um in in a build up to a game we'll look at predictions who matches up well against a different team how many right-handers how many left-handers do they have inside um there there's all sorts of variables that you look at in terms of pitch conditions and when i think that comes into that selection process as well as gary was saying a bit earlier um when it comes to franchise tournaments um picking your best 11 uh, and making sure you have you know the guys that can hit the fours and sixes but also supplementing that with the guys who and girls who can you can work the ball around a bit more and make sure that they kind of glue the innings together um then you've got the the guys and the girls who bowl really well at the death um at the start of an innings and and you're kind of making sure you you're picking the right players um to have that depth in a squad um and and that's where analysis has become so important very insightful and all three of you have uh, shared your views on how it's changed the game and especially in the context of IPL or franchise cricket IPL is starting tomorrow its 14th edition uh it would be really interesting to know uh, your points of view on how statistical models being used in maybe the auction strategy or game day playing 11 in all those areas would you like to share your experiences especially rahul and gary you have been directly involved in franchise cricket yeah so uh, i think that's that's evolved as well so I, i was sort of involved in the first auction of the ipl way back in 2008 
uh, and then I haven't been involved uh, in an option over the last three or four years, but but uh, been involved in quite a few of them uh, since 2008, right up to probably 2018. And um, and yeah, even that's changed a lot. I mean, just the, the, the amount of uh, statistics and data being used now to ensure that you build uh, a proper balanced franchise team. So it's not necessarily all about just you know, picking the best players, but the data is now being used to ensure that you get balance in your team. You know, what is the right kind of balance that you need? Which is, which are the successful T20 teams in 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 the world, and what is the kind of balance that they have? Uh, and to and to execute that on an on an auction strategy or in an auction flow when there are eight or nine other teams also wanting those players uh, is is not easy, uh, and it's getting even more more and more difficult because everyone's getting smarter and everyone's simulating. Uh, a lot of what actually happens in the auction. Um, so, so yeah, so I think, um, so there's a lot of these, there are a lot of programs now, there's a lot of, uh, there, there are a lot of smart, you know, sort of, uh, so you sit on these auction tables and in the past we probably would have had only cricket coaches or captains or cricketers on these tables, but, but you know, I've sat in these auction things with a lot of analysts and, and statisticians and mathematicians who actually don't have a clue about the game and some of them who've even never played the game but they're really good at crunching numbers or understanding numbers or making sense sometimes of numbers and uh, and understanding how well to build your team. So, yeah, so it's it's, it's getting better and better and it's quite, it's, it's quite unique and, and just the use of more, you know, I think uh, people outside of the sport who, who so you have your, your, of course, like Gary said, you, you, I think you're still always going to need people with knowledge of the game, but also now, I think the good thing is that we're also now being open to the idea of using people who uh, might not know the game, but certainly understand statistics, numbers, data, uh, much better than, say, uh, someone who's uh, you know, played the game does. Well, that's interesting. And something on the line of Moneyball, which we learned years ago in baseball here in the United States. So let's hear Gary's thought on uh, how the statistical model being used in team selections or strategies for even, even the auction. Gary. Yeah, and look, it's not dissimilar to what Rahul is saying. Is I've, I've just been through the process now with this new competition in England that I'm going to be involved in. And again, you know, um, um, I rest a lot on on the guys who have a bank of data that they can give you information on. Um, to the point where we decided um, not to select a player because most of the boundaries that he would have uh, that batsman would have scored of him was, were were down the ground. And the field that we're playing on is a really small, straight field. Um, so we would look at bowlers that potentially um, are leaking boundary square of the wicket, and uh, it makes it makes the options more defendable. So I think I think there's so many different nuances that you are looking for um, in building the balance of your team. And um, as any coach would tell you, we probably need about four different team options for every match that we're playing in. So we want to make sure that we've got our bases covered that we've got enough left-hand, right-hand combinations, that we've got swing bowlers, that we've got um, hit-the-deck bowlers, that we've got different kinds of spin options, and that we've, we, we've got a, a nice uh, variety of options for, for every situation that we'd be confronted with. So I think that that recruitment process has become a lot more scientific and detailed. I think Raul is correct. I think there's a lot of um, mix between the, the instinct of a, of a coach and what the data is telling us, um, and then you've got to you've got to run with it. Sometimes there's a lot of luck involved. Sometimes you go for a young player. I mean, Raul could certainly talk to this with the Rajasthan Royals, where they, you know, they went and scouted young players and and cheaper picks, and some of them delivered beautifully for for the franchise, you know. Um, and trying to find those players that you feel can really do something and, and make a play, and I think that's. It's a beautiful process um, putting a team together and quite complicated. So I certainly know that the, the use of our analytics guys uh, makes a big difference. Wow, four different options for team selection. So that's what data is driving. So uh, great to hear that. Uh, let's let's also uh, move into the area where you have been, you both, Gary and Rahul, as a successful coach of different teams. Uh, Let's break it down and see how the collaboration within the team happens. You have coaches for all different departments like batting, bowling, and fielding. They have their own set of KPIs. How do you see that working within the team with the role of uh, you being the head coach? Rahul. 
Yeah, uh, look, I, 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 in terms of obviously, uh, you know, different sort of set of coaches would, would work with the analyst in, in different ways and they'd have uh, different ways of measuring things. Um, you'd sort of try and bring all of that together as, as a head coach. Um, uh, a lot of that, uh, a lot of the collaboration would also happen between the coaches and I think uh, our physiotherapy department and the SNC department. Uh, you know, I think because there's there's got to be, I think, a lot of collaboration in, in that area as well, where there's a lot of statistics and data around also things like injury prevention, uh, workload management, uh, you know, stuff like that. So that's that's a group of people that that also get involved now in data and, and analytics and, and understanding, um, you know, sort of how, how fit or how fresh uh, athletes are, boys and girls. And and, and sort of that kind of can impact your selection or, or that can impact your strategy and the way you structure yourself in a tournament based on the fitness of your of your sort of team. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, in terms of in terms of sort of specific sort of fielding coaches and, and bowling coaches and batting coaches, they I think they would have, like you said, they would have some targets, they would have their own KPIs, uh, they would have things like they would, they're measurables as to what constitutes a successful performance or what's areas that we can improve on. Um, what it's really done, I think it's also opened up the opportunity for coaches to have really good conversations with players now using data, where in the past as a coach, you know, you sometimes had a conversation with a player, which was, you know, you, you could say, oh, I feel you're not a very good player when the ball is in line with the stump. So for example, if, if, if a particular bowling attack is bowling straight to you, then your ability to hit the ball on the leg side is, is limited and you're sort of, you know, it can become debatable and it can become um, sort of you, you can get into a sort of situation with a player where he might not agree with you. But if you can show him the stats and the data and say that, you know, so, so for balls pitched in this particular area where the ball has been in line with the stumps, your scoring rate or, or your options are very limited and you're not able to hit to this part of the ground. And this is what the data shows you because the data, you know, it doesn't lie. It's, it's, it's numbers. There's no emotion in the data. And I think that really sometimes I find with some players really opens them up a lot better to some of these conversations. You know, I think, and again, you've got to be careful there. There are some players who, who might not kind of take to it that well and, and, and you've got to be careful with that. But, but I think I've certainly seen in my experience that if you can back up some of your conversations now with data, uh, it certainly helps them. Great. Um, Gary, what's your point of view on that? Yeah, I absolutely um, agree with Rahul. I, I think for me, there's um, the, the, the collaboration um, is important only for one reason, and that's um, what your team strategy is. So I think the head coach plays a massive role in understanding what are those relevant KPIs for each discipline um, in the game, and then making the appropriate decisions. Ultimately, why do we use the data that's available? Because we want to become more intelligent. You know, we want to have um, better, we want to make better decisions under pressure on the fields and the data really helps. I'll never forget working uh, with one of our, our batters at one of the franchises I was working with and we were playing against a really good uh, bowling opposition team. Um, and the, the data was telling in terms of where the scoring options were. And as Rahul says, some players like to receive that information and, and others don't, but I think it's got to a stage now where players are going to become more accountable for the decisions they make because the data has become so rich and so accurate that if they go um, potentially against that, um, it's almost an irresponsible decision to do um, in the field of play um, if it's genuinely going against what, what, the, what the data is telling us. But I, never, I remember working with a, with, with a top player who, um, you know, who um, I presented the information to say that, you know, the stats tell us that through through halfway through the IPL, it is very difficult to score in this area of this bowler. But he wanted to prove <laughs> prove me wrong and got out two balls later, you know, or, or, did, or didn't make a score. And I think that's an example. And another example is we realized with, with the team I was playing at that, um, you know, our boundary option in the death overs was behind the wicket. And no one had thought about that because they were too scared to score behind the wicket. And we went into the second match against that team and found our boundary option behind the wicket, which closed the game out for us. And I think that's the beauty of, of T20 cricket is that um, it's so condensed. One bad decision can cost you a game. Um, and that's why the, the use of the data has become so relevant. What I've realized recently, though, Gary, uh, that there's a trend that's being set that um, you're supposed to be 
not predictable. So that's how that's one way of the players <laughs> getting away from not being accountable for their actions by not being predictable, not doing what everyone expects them <laughs> to do. <laughs> that's a very interesting point on not being predictable in cricket. Uh, yeah, I do hear, and in my playing days, you know, we tried doing that. Um, uh, but also let me just double click one point what Rahul mentioned uh, in our collaboration with uh, different departments of the team. Uh, we get to hear some data from physiotherapists or the trainers and how fresh the players are to play the game. And in the recent series of India, England, that became a highly debated topic, uh, rotation policy. Some of the players who were in top form, they were asked to take rest and then others were drafted in. Any quick reaction or response to that, Rahul and Gary and Isha, you too? Well, I mean, it's it's, it's always going to be a, a difficult one, especially in a year like this. I think you can't be, mm -hmm. I think it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for a lot of sportsmen. I think, um, you know, I've, I've just not been in, I, so I, I can't speak from any experience of having to, had to live in a bubble or having to have to spend 14 days of quarantine in a hotel room. And just speaking to some of the boys uh, and girls, in fact, uh, they've said it's hard. It's not been easy. It's been very tough and it's not a, it's not really a conducive environment to play sports. So we must first appreciate the fact that, you know, a lot of these boys and girls are, are willing to continue to play the sport so that the sport can survive and it's, you know, beamed all over the world and it provides great entertainment to all of us. So I think we really need to appreciate that for starters, you know, before, before anything else. And then, um, and then, while I'm not a huge fan of making a huge rotation policy in a year like this, I think I can kind of understand as to why, uh, you know, there is, there is a need to do it. Uh, it, it might work in some cases. It's, it's, I think it's got to be a really mature environment to make something like this work because I think, you know, you know, sometimes when there's so much of competition for each and every spot, they're not, it's not going to be easy for people to give up their spots for other people to come in and play. I mean, there's a huge risk involved in that, right? If somebody, you give up your spot to somebody else in a rotation policy, someone else comes in and does really well. Even if you do come back, the pressure on you is just, you know, it, it, it sort of magnifies. It's, you know, the old saying, when I was uh, when I was playing, I remember a, a coach, he was a sort of, you know, um, one of the elderly coaches here in Bangalore, and he used to always tell me, he said, you know, uh, Rahul, being in the team is like, possession is nine-tenths of the law. So if you're in possession of that spot, you just ensure that you're in possession and don't give anyone else a chance uh, to come come in and, and take that spot because you, you control that and you control that. You're in the control of that. Your performances control that. Uh, but the moment you get out of that situation, then you're relying on somebody else's performance to actually get your way back in. Uh, and so you lose control of the situation. So it requires, I think, really mature environments to, to do that uh, and to understand, uh, you know, and not create a level of insecurity in players. So if you can do that and if you can create those environments, then then I think in years like this or, or, or situations like this, then, um, yeah, I think there is a role for it. Getting that balance right is incredibly hard. And um, Alec, I think that there's a there's a difference between the men's and the women's game, and that the men's the men's game there are so many matches being played. In fact, that the boys probably want to play less. The girls want to play more. So there's less of a rotation policy when it comes to women's cricket. Um, they just want to play as much cricket as possible. Um, whereas for the guys, because there are four different formats, as I mentioned before, um, you know, it, it is about trying to get that balance and. And I am starting to see from the outside looking in just a bit more of a separation between teams uh, for the longer format and the shorter format. Sometimes because actually international teams now, are, their, their test team are playing at the same time as their T20 team. Um, that was certainly going to be the case for Australia not so long ago. Um, but also I think cricket is a sport whereby there is so much variability in playing conditions. Um, probably more so than baseball um, and, and certainly NFL. So, uh, you know, pitch dimensions, uh, the state of the pitch, the, the, the acclimatization in terms of the, the weather conditions, the, um, yeah, where you're playing in the world um, in terms of humidity. And so all these things come into play when it, when you're trying to select the right team for, for that particular game um, and and it's it's got to a point where it has you know I, I think it has become a bit more of a horses for courses approach that's that's what they like to call it so um, yeah it's it's about managing that for the players but also just on, on the back of what Raul was saying about the 
the bubble. Um, mental health is something that is incredibly important and uh, just trying to manage players and, and players feeling a bit more open about speaking uh, about their mental health. I think that's really, really good um, in cricket at the moment is that players do have that option to talk about it um, without being vilified for, for having those thoughts and feelings. It's a bit more of an open environment. So um, just communication, I guess, is, is the key to everything and, and it's moving in the right direction. That's good to hear the balance and the mature environment. Gary, what's your thought on this rotation policy and especially data-driven policy like this? We all understand the situation is different. We all are in a bubble. Uh, but what's your thought as a coach? Yeah, I, um, yeah look, I, you know, I think there are two significant reasons for rotation. One is injury prevention and the other one mm -hmm. is performance. You know, and, and, a, and a head coach has a, has a massive role across three formats of the game to make sure that he gets it right because he needs to be winning games at a very consistent level. Um, so I think rotation has become a lot more relevant in the modern game than it was in, in you know, way back when Rahul and I, I were playing. Um, um, and I think players have become a little bit more comfortable understanding that they actually can't play everything. Um, but if, a, you know, if a SNC or physio comes up to me and says, listen, you cannot pick your best fast bowler um, for the next test match because there's a high risk of him getting injured, I'm going to listen to him. Um, and at the same time, um, I'm going to plan the season in such a way that I'm going to use specific players for specific formats. Um, mm -hmm. I remember doing that when I was with the South African team um, and we made a decision that we really wanted to push hard to you know, to become the number one ranked team in test cricket. Um, and Dale Stain, who was our key fast bowler, we had to make a decision to pull him out of virtually all white ball cricket. It was a tough conversation to have way back in 2012 um, because he said, well, you know, you know how's he, how's he going to be compromised uh, contractually wise and, and also obviously with, with his own performances. But we managed to sell it to him and bought into it. He had an incredible run of test cricket over that period of time but we also had to sell it to you, you know the, the board who would then have to continue paying him a salary even though he wasn't playing because he was being rotated so I think there are a whole lot of issues that need to be confronted um, but certainly it's a big task for a head coach. Oh definitely it's a huge task and uh, good to share your experiences uh, Gary it's good to know that some of the situation, how the head coach had to manage those aspirations and uh, vulnerability of the players. I see a lot of questions are already flowing in from our uh, audiences. Uh, let's take a couple of more questions from uh, what we thought you know would be good for the audience in general, and then we'll come to specific ones. Uh, moving on from the role of head coach, now Isha, we would like to uh, bring you in as a presenter or commentator, the role of analytics. Do you think there is some data analytics available to presenters for the pre-game or post-game show? Maybe the viewers don't get to see that data and that can really help you to present the game in a different way. Yeah, it's astounding actually. I think some of the stats we get are, are sometimes on par with what the teams get, if not better. Um, I know Star Sports in India do a lot of work around their statistics because that is that is what the consumer wants actually. Um, the general Indian public love the stats and uh, they love the matchups and they love being able to, to predict what might happen. So um, when we're doing a broadcast in the build-up, I mean, it depends what type of broadcast it is, whether it's to the general public, for example, in the UK, who probably don't have quite a grasp on, on what cricket is. So you have to be a bit more general about things. Um, but if you go into a cricket-specific audience, then you are looking at, right, okay, trying to predict what's going to happen in the game um, before it happens um, and in commentary as well you you try and take in all that information I, I guess a bit like the players a bit like the coaches and you're trying to predict in your mind what might happen in a, in a game situation and actually I know I joked about it before but it has become a lot more difficult just in the last six months or so to predict what's going to happen because of this degree of unpredictability so you might look at a field um, and, and we have the benefit, actually, as commentators to, to see the whole field. Sometimes I think the coaches don't get to get to that kind of bird's eye view of a field um, that, that we get, which is 
which is really really useful when it comes to to commentating um but yeah we, we might see a field we'll, we'll see what bowlers on against which batter and we've had all these stats I've watched all these games of cricket so in my head I kind of instinctively know what might happen and then something different happens altogether because of that kind of them not wanting the batter to know what's coming um, or trying to be unpredictable so um, yeah I, I think it's it's fascinating for us broadcasters as well um, and when you're bringing in all these different rules um, on top of it so the, the big bash tournament in Australia it's a T20 tournament uh, they tried to kind of make it a bit more interesting for, for viewers by adding in a couple of different elements to to the game of cricket um, whether it was tr trying to score a certain amount of runs and getting a bonus point within 10 overs or bringing in an x-factor player after the first inning uh, yeah first innings but that that makes it interesting for us commentators because we're trying to talk through it tactically and trying to figure out what's going to happen um, going forward so yeah, we definitely use a, a lot of data. Wow, uh, that's so great to hear, Isha, the role of a broadcaster with the use of data, how impactful it could get. And while watching all these games, we always hear this uh, discussion about the data behind data. For example, a batter got out on Yorker, you know, the ball hit the stumps. But the commentators and all the analysts have talked about there were many preceding ball, preceding balls actually which were really uh, influential in getting that batter out, and uh, probably the data does not capture that. It's the intelligence of the player on the ground or their own way to remember what happened, and they execute the plan. That's Would you like to share your thoughts on that? How it, it gets managed in the team or by the captain and the bowlers of the team? Anyone, Rahul, well, any I, thoughts I was on just that? about to say that's something that you're, you're absolutely right, Alok. That's something that we don't have any stats on uh, and maybe something to think about going forwards. But, um, yeah, I mean, we will always try and break it down in broadcast um, for the viewers just to make it easier for them. And we'll, we'll be able to show those those deliveries back to, to figure out how they got out. But, yeah, there's no stats for that. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear what Rahul and Gary think. I, I mean, I think people do look at videos. I mean, so you look at if you if you were, I mean, and, and that's what really I think video analysts and, and coaches would do. We would look at um, sort of passages of plays, not necessarily just dis just dismissals, and look at passages of play and and, and look at a particular event, a, a key event, whether it was a wicket or, or a boundary hit in a particular ball, and, and maybe track back and, and look at look at videos sort of preceding that and see if if there's a pattern that emerges or there's something that led to that particular dismissal or uh, is there something like, you know, if a, if a batsman throws or he plays a poor shot, a shot that you probably goes against, um, you know, the strategy or the tactic or just a poor decision at a point of time, what leads to that kind of poor decision? Is it, uh, is it the pressure that's built in of dot balls leading into that particular event? Um, you'd certainly look at that from a performance perspective and uh, and a coaching perspective, and, and if there's some trends that that may emerge, uh, you know, on, uh, and and some something again to just have another better conversation with uh, with that player. That's very interesting. Good to hear that how you know the passes of the play is getting managed, and you know the pressure being built. Gary, uh, any thoughts from you on that uh, area? Yeah, just one added thought that I think, you know, we, we've always got to be careful that you, you, you matching um, the use of data with, um, with human beings, you know, <laughs> who mm. are, you know, are going to make bad decisions and going to get things wrong and do feel pressure. And uh, that's the beauty of sport. And you would never want to take that away from sport. Um, sport is unpredictable. And that's why we are involved in it, because we never quite know. Um, so I always, I always look at, at data as um, almost an enabling tool or as an, as, an, as an aid rather than, you know, that is gospel <laughs> because human beings are prone to, you know, making wrong, wrong decisions. And I think that's why we love sports so much. Yeah, and just, just that's a great point. Like, just agree with you know Gary there that that while we may use data, and especially just from my own experience, I've, I've had this experience of you know sometimes you use data to select players, and and because in cricket you know I think it's it's a little more complex to 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 get data in cricket because um, you know a lot of these tournaments. So for example, in the IPL, 
you know, you're sort of playing tournament one year away from each other. A lot of times uh, players move from different teams to different teams, unlike say American sport or soccer, where some of these players are with that particular franchise or that particular team for nine, 10 months in the year. They virtually live in those cities and live in those franchises. Uh, it's much easier to collect a lot of meaningful data in that kind of situation. Whereas in cricket, you're sometimes the players are moving from different teams and teams and the quality of data being collected in these kind of environments might not always be the same. And also you don't get to see your players for such a long period of time. So like just going back to my, to the example I was trying to give is that we've selected players in the past, sometimes based on past data. And then when they come into your environment and when you actually get to see them, uh, you realize that it's, it's not the same. Their past data might have shown you something, but now they're carrying a niggle or they're carrying an injury uh, or, you know, there's something else has happened to them where actually those numbers, uh, you know, are not, they're not reflective of his performance at that point of time or his ability to perform at that point of time. So I think if you just blindly follow the data, I think in cricket, especially when you don't have the players for the period of time, uh, for long periods of time, they come in just before the IPL or just before a tournament and, and, and you have to get them to perform. You have to rely a lot also on your eye, your feel, your gut, uh, watching them in the nets uh, and not just blindly follow the data. That's just my experience. That's a great point. And so many variables and not following data blindly, such an important aspect you have shared. Now I'm looking at the time and uh, we have so many questions in the Q&A box I see. So let's spend some time there as well. Uh, and any of you can just take the question. I'll just go one by one. First question, very interesting one for youth cricket. And we know you all are passionate about that. The question is, how can analytics be used to develop young cricketers on whom you may, might not have a lot of data? Yes, so it's it's getting there. I think that's, that's Anisha spoke about that, just the technology that's available now to even on our smartphones and wearables. And that's really changing the landscape that this kind of technology and this data that was available to really elite athletes is now uh, is now getting better and you're able to use it even at a grassroots level or even at a junior level so it's certainly better and and certainly in the under 19 teams that we coach now we, we always travel with a video analyst uh, and while you may be right that it's not easy to do a lot of opposition analysis at a junior level or an under 19 level because you just a lot of these games are not televised and you don't have you don't have that rich data on on, on the opposition but certainly for your own players' performance and tracking your own players' development over a, over a two, two or three-year period, uh, you can certainly set some markers and set some standards. A simple thing is like when you when we get an under-19 player and if you're tracking uh, his, his dot or his ability to rotate the strike in the middle overs, and we don't play 2020 cricket at under-19, so we play one-day cricket and, that's, and, and rotating the strike and taking singles in one-day cricket is quite important. So we might track somebody and say, hey, his dot ball percentage is so much, but in 18 months working with us or in, in 24 months being with the uh, setup, has he improved that aspect of his game? And, and you can certainly track a lot of that stuff. Uh, in terms of opposition analysis, yeah, I agree with you. We probably don't do a lot of that because we just don't have that uh, data. Right, and it's staying on that youth topic, uh, there's something very interesting coming up in the chat. Uh, Gary, you have a digital platform, Coach Ed, uh, which is helping young players across the world, and you're also training coaches. And you see some interesting data coming up, how youth cricket is becoming popular, especially in the U.S. Would you like to share something, what your data analysis is showing for youth cricket? Yeah, listen, I, I, think the, I think the one big thing um, about youth cricket now is streaming. You know, we are able to, uh, we're able to watch matches which is watching a game in the other corner of South Africa, you know, um, because there was a player that um, we were interested in as a, as a coaching business. And um, yeah, I was, I was able to watch the game. So I think, I think that's becoming uh, more and more accessible um, around the world. Um, the, the world is, is globalizing. I find, I find streaming an absolutely amazing tool to use in our coaching business. Great. And uh, looking at uh, how the data analytics is driving all aspects of the game, even to expand the fan base, uh, some question uh, there around, you know, boundaries like fours and sixes, 
being uh, you know a, a kind of encouraged to be played. And Rahul, you talked about how it's helping us win more games. Is it uh, or something what our cricket administrators also thinking about to make some changes in the rules just to uh, use the data to expand the fan base, what fans would like to see on the ground? Any thoughts on that, Rahul, Gary, or Asia? Anyone can take that question. I, I'd just like to see a good contest between bat and ball. I just don't, I mean, I think one of the things mm. that beauty of the game is I think people want to see a really good contest. So a T20 game doesn't necessarily have to be only about hitting fours and sixes. I mean, that's a, that's a good marker to say you win more games if you do that. But, but a good T20 contest doesn't always have to be a 200 plus game. You know, I think a, a good T20 contest for that matter, or any format of the game for that matter, you've got to see a good contest. And, and I think some of the games in, in, in Dubai in the IPL last year actually showed that you had teams being able to defend scores like 145, 150, where the bowlers had a really good chance and people want to see that. And I think that's really the key for me. If we can, you know, if, if, if people are able to hit sixes and fours easier, then you've got to make the wickets tougher and more challenging so that, you know, uh, there's a balance that's been maintained between bat and ball. And I think that's the, and that's what data should help you show is that, you know, um, people are uh, interested when games get tight, irrespective of whether it's a 150 game or whether it's a 200 game. A good contest, definitely. That's the key part. Now I'm looking at the time. We are almost at the end of the session. So let me request each one of you to share your closing remark and then we can wrap up. Uh, Anyone, Isha, would you like to start anything on this session? Yeah, um, I guess we've spoken a lot about what's happening now and, and what's happened in the past, but I'm, I'm very excited about the future of, of our sport um, and AI and statistics. And just something I was going to add about the fan experience there, something that they were looking at for um, the 100 going forwards, which is the new format, was around the players wearing heart rate monitors um, so fans could actually see um, what their what the players' heart rates are on the field and and, and just add to the experience. Um, lots of different ways of trying to to get the fans involved. I mean, a, a lot of broadcast technology has improved over the last few years, from the likes of the decision review system and um, being able to see contact points and things like that. But I think um, one area that I am really interested in, which I know they're doing or using in baseball, is um, more brain statistics. So what's actually happening in the brain during um, during high performance? Obviously, we don't have those tools to measure that at the moment um, wirelessly, but I think that will boom in the next 10 to 20 years. Wow, <clears throat> brain statistics. Okay, that's really interesting. Uh, let's see when we can start applying that in our sport of cricket as well, maybe already being used in some teams. Rahul, any closing remark from you? And especially, I would like to also highlight one point that what Anil Kumble and Microsoft have put together in terms of the technology for the game. Do you see that role being played uh, extensively in cricket, uh, where you have data sensors on the bat, so you can cover that part as well? Yeah, well, I, I just think like I think like the other panelists have mentioned as well. I think the data, because of technology and AI and 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 sort of us moving uh, in that direction and cameras getting so much uh, better, uh, you know, just at picking up, uh, picking up the speed of the ball and the frames and we're just getting so much clearer pictures, you know, the accuracy at which we are, um, we know where the ball pitches. Uh, I, I think a lot of that is leading to a, a lot more richer data. So as technology improves and, and like you said, rightly, you know, sensors in the bat, sensors in the ball, uh, we're only, only going to get more and more uh, richer data. Uh, the key is also is going to be the balance of, of so I think for me, I think it's, it's really obviously uh, cricket's been a little bit behind in a, from American sport or, or soccer in terms of, of using data, uh, because obviously they, I think it's, it's been also, a, uh, I'm not sure if cricket's had the resources and that's sort of slowly changing now where cricket's having the resources to be able to, to do a lot of this stuff. But but I really do feel, I think that there's, there's got to be this balance between uh, a lot of this data and I think the future for me is, is I think data is going to become the same for everyone. Everyone's going to have access to this data. We're going to reach a point in the next few years, in my opinion, where everyone is going to have access to the same data. I, I You know, you can keep looking for new things and you look for a little bit small 0.5 percenters and 0.5 percenters. 
but the key will be then the people who can slice this data and make sense of it and understand it and, and actually give players and coaches something that's relevant. There's a lot of data, but what, are, what, are, what, are, what is relevant and what really helps performance, I think is going to be the next, um, the next challenge and the next level of guys who want to do that. Great, the relevance of data is so key. Gary, any closing remark from you? Yeah, you know, everyone's looking for the competitive advantage. Raul's spot on here. We all have access to, to, the, to the technology that is available. Um, I think it's how we use the technology um, um, and how we can stay one step ahead of the opposition in using that technology that, that we'll probably find a little bit of the edge or the competitive advantage from, from one season to the next. Um, I think we've got to factor in um, the fact that cricket's got to be entertaining to everyone. And I think that we've, we've made great strides in, the, in the, the new formats we've brought into the game. Um, and most importantly, we mustn't lose the integrity of the contest, as Rahul has said. Um, I think that's ultimately where cricket will be alive and well. Um, there's, there's, still a, there's still a great demand for the longest version of the game, test cricket, because... In that, we see a great contest between bat and ball. So we mustn't lose that as we attempt to innovate, create, uh, and, and take the game forward to new markets. Great. On that note of uh, cricket being competitive and a great contest of bat and ball, let's close this session. It's been a very enriching and insightful discussion on the role of analytics in cricket. Uh, we moved from how we converted dot balls to singles and doubles and Rahul talked about hitting those boundaries and sixes and then Gary also talked about the intelligent use of data uh, not just over relying rather the relevance of data is so crucial and he talked about data being enabler and of course Isha also talked about uh, how as a broadcaster she finds the role of data being used and you know the brain statistics and her playing dates so all those were really important points uh, wish we had more time. I see even questions popping up at this hour as well. But uh, let's wait for another session in the future. It was really exciting to have you all on this. So thank you so much for your time, Rahul, for your time in Bangalore. Uh, have, you have a good night there. Gary, thank you very much for being with us from South Africa. And Isha, you from England. Once again, thank you very much to all of you. Thanks, Arnold. Thank you. Thank you. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.